sexy, huh? You know what that music means? Every Wednesday, Tim Hasselback. We're ready. He's presented by Wyatt Johnson Ford. Every week, yes, I told you, we're ready. Timmy, how you doing? Doing great. Hey, how was your trip to Lipscomb? Hey, well, that was where I was going. We had a great time um, over there Friday, hanging out uh, at Lipscomb Academy. And, of course, Trent Dilfer was mm-hmm. your buddy, was nice enough to come over there and hang out with us for a good while. We were doing the show right outside his office, so uh, we had a fantastic mm-hmm. time over there. Trent looks like me, only like in worse shape and a little older, a little more overweight, right? Is that, what, is that your takeaway? <laughs> no, those are your words. Those are not mine. Those are Tim Hasselbeck's words. I'm not making this up. I think it was maybe the day before you guys were at Lipscomb. I, you know, ran an errand to the hardware store, um, you know, checking out, and, just, and uh, the guy at the register is like, "Hey." You coach at Lipscomb? Like, Golly, <laughs> never been so insulted in my entire life. Um, were you running an errand for 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 Elizabeth or your kids? I mean, what what would you be doing in a hardware store? Oh no, man, I'm 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 good in the hardware store, man. I'm a, I'm handy. I'm, I'm really I what I was doing. I, yeah, you're handy. Think, he was building something at home. You're you're right. You're, you're handy. Like, what do you do? Like, what's your specialty at home? What can it? I, I mean, I, listen, if you're handy, Darren. You don't have a specialty. We have learned something all these years. We have learned something new about you, Tim. Well, I, knew, I knew. I knew that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. of course, Chase knew that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you're really, really close with somebody, you know a lot about them, yeah. like friends, and Chase knew that. Yeah, for sure. Like, what? What do you know? What have you known? What's some projects t- your your buddy Tim has taken on? I mean, look, he you know he's, he's uh, put some shelves up before. Uh-huh. You yeah. know, he's yeah. built some. Fix some tables and chairs. You know, uh-huh. you know, you know when you have the uneven chair and it kind of wobbles. wobbles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he fixes he, that. He can fix that. Really? Need to hang a light fixture. I mean, I got you there. I mean, we're good. Fans. Really? Yeah. You're you're you feel good in your work to like turn off the electricity and make sure you don't get zapped and hang up light fixtures. Darren, you realize that that's actually not that hard. You actually just go over to the, the breaker panel and you shut it off, and you can chew on the electric line when you do that. Okay? You're good. I wouldn't recommend doing that, but you can. Yeah. Clearly, you know that handyman is not in my vocabulary. You can tell. Um, I have a feeling if you go to the McFarland household that the uh, – I'm guessing the toolbox is pink, and it's your wife. It's right? very clean, <laughs> and my wife right. can do way more than I can, <laughs> no doubt. We asked him about Lamar Jackson, and I, my exact words were, "Is this sustainable? I mean, can he actually pull this off?" And we, Trent, had a really good answer talking about Lamar Jackson. Of course, that was in lieu of their Sunday night game against the Patriots, and we all know how that played out. We were we were looking at his stats. I mean. He he's on base. He he could throw for four thousand yards and rush for a thousand yards this season. Tim, like, how crazy would that be for an NFL quarterback to pull that off? I mean, that would be really crazy. By the way, if Trent had a good answer, it means he probably stole it from somebody. So it, it wasn't original. So Were I'm you referring to you? He he stole it from you. I mean, but what Trent usually what he does is like if you steal something, he'll credit you the first time. And then the next time, it's his. That's, that's <laughs> how he operates. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got it. Obviously, uh, I, you know, I don't know what he had to say about it and its sustainability, but the truth is it depends on what you mean about 
sustainable. Are you talking about for a season? You know, are you talking about for three years, five years, ten years? I think it's sustainable for a season. I think you need some good fortune where, you know, the guy doesn't get banged up and, um, you know, that and that happens. But I think the, the concern that some people have, and maybe it's, you know, kind of the old way of thinking, is you draft a quarterback, or really any position, you draft any position in the first round, you're thinking that guy will be a starter for you for a decade, and especially a quarterback. So if you are going to say, hey, can you do what they're doing for a decade? No, I don't think you can. You just play too many games in the position. It's just it's too physical. I mean, he basically is getting hit, you know, nearly 20 times a game. That's a lot for that's a lot for running backs, never mind a quarterback. Now, you know, I think that it, it appears that he's been able to stay healthy. They have built that thing around him. They've, I mean, they're basically the triple option of the NFL, if you think about what they're doing. No one else is doing what they are doing. they got all these tight ends. They have these, you know, downhill backs, and they run the quarterback, and they're not afraid to run 20 times a game. I mean, that's, that's unique. Most people don't do that, so I think preparing for it is, is one thing. And, and then the fact that the guy's super talented is another and I've said this to you guys before about, you know, these like zone read run plays and, um, you know, why they can have the effectiveness that they have is pass rushers, end players, okay, Cameron Wakes, they're not paid to feather the option. They're paid to because they're elite pass rushers. So you're taking these guys that are, they have a really unique skill set and really talented at rushing the passer and you are running the ball right at them and not blocking them. And so it gives you a number advantage in the run game, and it also is neutralizing a guy that can completely disrupt the football game. That's why they're effective. The challenge is when you do that, sometimes your quarterback's going to get hit, and you know most people don't think that you can sustain that for the long haul. I think the Baltimore Ravens have basically said, Let's see if we can be good doing this for five years. I think that's the approach they've taken. Clearly he stole it from you because that's basically what he said. So, to your <laughs> point. Definitely stole yeah. it from me. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, I, with the windows in the National Football League anymore. You're, you're right. Why, like, why would you? GM, I agree. I agree. with. I know where you're going with this. Like, why would you? Who cares about 10 years? Who knows what it'd look yeah. like 10 years? Your window's now. Go, go get everything right. you can get now, whether it's two years, three years, five years, whatever. Get it now. Quit worrying about seven and ten years down the road. Yeah, I think that's the key. Is you may not be around. Right. I mean, and especially if you're not an established guy, I think what's unique about the Baltimore situation, and Harbaugh, there's been some noise about you know his situation there, but um, you know, as a Super Bowl winning coach, and I think that if he were – you know, set free, there would be people lining up to hire him. So I, I don't think it's a job-saving mode. I just think they, Ozzie Newsom drafted him, and they said, all right, if this is going to work, this is how we're going to have to do it. What have you? Uh, what are your thoughts Would you watch Ryan Tannehill, his starts so far with the Titans? What do you see? I, you know, kind of how I would expect him to play. I think there's been really good moments, and I think there's been other moments that, you know, not so great. And I think there's just been – I guess the general sense of, you know, watching the offense, um, you know, they're, they're not a, it's not a well-oiled machine offensively. It's just not. And, and so, you know, the change at quarterback, it's a little bit like, 
you know, the change of quarterback for the New York Giants didn't fix the pass protection issues, you know, and so the change um, you know, quarterback for the Titans, it's not like it, like it changed everything, you know, and I think, I just don't know, and I've said this to you guys before, and I, and I think you guys would probably feel a similar way, like, what's the identity? Now, I think one of the big things for a team is, like, you need a calling card. You need a, it's something that you do really well. You think about the New England Patriots, you know, they, they do an awesome job on these shallow crosses with Julian Edelman and other guys. That's what they do really well. That's their calling card, in my estimation. Um, like, what, what, what is the Titans' calling card? What do they do really well? What, when it's a gotta-have-it situation, like, what, what, what are they doing? And I don't really know what it is. You know, I think that I, I think. By the way, I, that's exactly what we talked about on Monday. Yeah. What, what is their identity? Well, what, what are they? And didn't we think that based on the way the season ended last year, that it might be that Derrick Henry is the guy that coming in, the other team has to say, "Boy, yeah. we've got to we've got to put a lot of resources into stopping him." And that was what maybe was a little mystifying to some people on Sunday's game is that they tried to work in Deion Lewis especially early in the game, more than they had. It looked like they were trending away for that, from that for good. And all of a sudden, here he is getting the ball a little bit, and obviously he had the costly fumble, and that set it up for an easy second guess. Yeah, and I think that there's an element of, because like, just using the Patriots as the example, right? they get a lot of praise for kind of reinventing themselves each and every week, and it's like, oh, wow, what, you know, what? they played with a fullback the whole game. Wasn't that creative? And, and look at, you know they, how they found a way to win. I, I think that's fine. I think you can have you can have these wrinkles and departures and game plan specific stuff. I think it's important. So that that helps you not be predictable and it, and also you know take advantage of the the players that you have. But at the same time, I do think you need an identity. I, I think you need a um, look when things aren't going well. What do you do? Because it doesn't matter what look you get you've run 96 blasts a thousand times with Derrick Henry against every front you could ever possibly see. And that's just what you're going to do. Cause that's what you believe in. And I just, like, that's a little bit of the, the Ravens. I mean, let's be honest. Here's what the Ravens have done is like, they've made their identity. Our identity is we're going to get two tight ends minimum on the field. We're going to have one in line. We're going to have another one. Uh, that's in the backfield. In fact, we might even put a 300-pound defensive tackle that's also playing fullback, uh, you know, in the backfield. And we are going to run some type of replay. It's either going to be, you know, a read on the defensive end, or we're going to read the three technique, and and we're going to come downhill at you. We're going to do that, especially if our quarterback is struggling. And I just don't think that the the Titans have an identity that way. And um Look, I mean, part of it might be just trying to figure out what the team really is good at doing. I thought there was a really interesting conversation that took place uh, at the end of the Browns-Broncos game. Everybody switched over. I, we were watching the Packers and the Chargers. That game ended. You go to a, a dramatic moment in the game. Browns are trying to drive for a go-ahead score in Denver. There was a fourth down mm-hmm. play. CBS shows it. It looks like Odell... Uh, Beckham is, is open. They try to throw it to Landry. They don't get it, et cetera. Rich Gannon, bef- to his credit, before the play, said, when I was in a big situation like this, I was thinking of who I'm going to throw the ball to, not necessarily what is the play. I just wanted uh-huh. – I knew I had good players, and I wanted to trust that those guys were going to get open and they were going to make a play. 
thought that was an interesting philosophy, and of course it plays out. Now, Landry's not a bad option, but they've clearly had trouble getting the ball to Beckham uh, in situations like that. But let's go back to the sort of the concept, Tim. What, what about just that whole thing? He said, I was going to Tim Brown or I was going to right. Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, listen, those are two Hall of Fame players. And so, you know, if you're the Titans, who's that player? You know, you know what I mean? Like, who, who's your... Yeah, you don't really have that guy. Corey Davis, is Corey Davis the guy. Yeah, I think there's an element of, you know, because I, I would... And I think what Rich is saying is accurate. I mean, a guy won, you know, league MVP one year. He, in an, he was an outstanding player. Um, the example I would use is this, though. You think back to the Super Bowl, and, and I think it's... It's the best indicator of, of good quarterback play and how it helps your football team. In crunch time of the Super Bowl this past the Patriots ran a play they call Haas wide jerk. Okay, the reason it's called Haas is the two outside guys run hitches. You're an empty. The two inside guys run seams. Those are the S's. Okay? And then wide jerk is the inside guys run a little option route. Okay? The first time they ran, they ran it three plays in a row. And they got a different look every time they got it. The first time, they threw it to Julian Edelman. The second time, they threw the hitch outside. I think it was to Devlin or it was one of their running backs. And then the third time, they hit uh, Gronkowski down the seam. That gets them inside the five-yard line. They ran the same play. So now the ball went to a different player each time based on the coverage. So, you know, I would push back a little bit on Rich because I think a little bit of Rich's success was that he was so good at, getting through a progression. Like his MVP year, like he would – he maybe started with Jerry Rice or Tim Brown or whoever he was playing with at the time, but like then he'd find his way to Charlie Gardner on the little flare route and all of a sudden it was a 15-yard pickup. You know, I, I don't think you can just force it to somebody because you're like, oh, hey, he's a good player. You might call a play because you think it's going to pop this guy open, but if he's double-covered or he doesn't win – you know, you need to not just throw it to him. You need to find the guy that's open. So, you know, I I, I think that's the, the bigger story. I think the bigger story is like, hey, this is a concept that we are good at. In fact, we're so good at it, it doesn't matter the defense that you play. We're going to find a completion. Hmm. Good stuff. Meanwhile, another one of those mystery games. Actually, let's come back to this on, on the other side. The, the resurgence of the Chargers – since they left Nashville. Okay, we'll do that more with Tim Hasselbeck, presented by Wyatt Johnson Ford every Wednesday starting at noon. More with him on the other side of Darren Donick and Chase. ESPN 1025, the game. Thank you, Pete. Don't forget, we got four and a half hours of pregame coverage leading you up to Titans Chiefs over at Nissan Stadium on Sunday. First portion of our pregame coverage, 7 until 9.30. Which then will, uh, things at 9.30 will shift to downtown. George Jones downtown on 2nd Avenue, to be ex- exact. Jared, Floyd Reese, Forever Titan, Chris Sanders will anchor down the final two av- hours of coverage leading you up to kickoff. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Should be a, uh, an interesting game. Final game for the Titans before they go into their bye week. And they're going to have their hands full while the Chiefs have not. Andy Reid just did his press conference with the Nashville media not revealing whether Mahomes is going to play or not. It looks like all signs are pointing toward Mahomes playing. I mean, did you see him when the Chiefs beat the Vikings 
on Sunday. Didn't look like he was limping around, running around on the field, celebrating with his teammates. Our NFL pregame coverage and show is brought to you by Wholesale Link, powered by RumbleOn.com, Kubota Tractors, Middle Tennessee Kubota Dealers, and Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House. Tim, do you believe Mahomes is going to play Sunday here? I do, and I and I uh, agree with uh, how you got your information. I mean, that's uh, he was moving pretty well. I, uh, yeah. I get the sense that he maybe was close a week ago, and they just you know were kind of taking a long term view, which is smart. Um, but yeah, I would. It's kind of bad timing for the excuse me for the Titans to uh, you know to get him you know back. I would I would guess that is scary for sure. But the one thing that does give me hope. Tim, for the from the Titans' standpoint, is they have looked like this before, like they've been down and out, and then mm-hmm. last year, for example, they just th- they just throttled the Patriots. It, w- it was hard to figure, and it, it's weird how in the league there's always examples. And I used the Chargers uh, before the break; they looked like mm-hmm. they were absolutely dead and buried, going nowhere after they failed to come through in the game here, and now they've rebounded with two nice wins, and now there's still maybe a little bit of hope. So I guess your season's never over, I guess is my point. No, and I, I kind of made a comment, you know, to somebody, you know, early uh, early on uh, or earlier in the season about like, hey, you would do these overreaction, you know, Monday segments on NFL Live. And, you know, the reality is, is like there's always hope in the locker room until you're mathematically eliminated. And I know that may sound crazy for fans because, um, you know, they, they look at, their team and they're like there's listen there's no signs of life like i don't you know i'm not i'm not seeing it but in a locker room until you're mathematically eliminated you feel like you have a chance you know it's a group of competitive people that are professionals and have had success at some point in their careers and so that's generally a feeling and you know i think what's interesting about the Chargers situation is that you know they lost some close games um you know certainly titans you know being kind of you know maybe the most gut-wrenching for that team but what they've, you know, what I think they've done, and I think it's a credit to Anthony Lynn. If you just look at their last week's game, you know, after the Titans basically said, if you can't get one yard, you don't deserve to win. I think that message to his team was received when you look at what they did a week ago. I mean, a week ago they kicked a field goal. There was an offsides penalty. They took points off the board, and on fourth and one, they ran the ball into the end zone. I mean, you almost never see somebody do that. And I think Anthony Lynn was basically like, look, we're, my, I'm going to make sure my team receives this message that, like, I don't care if we don't block anybody. We're going to find a way to get a yard. We're talking to Tim Hasselbeck, ESPN NFL analyst, and a big game that's going to be coming up uh, on ESPN Monday night, the Seahawks going on the road to San Francisco to take on the undefeated 49ers. What is it about this whole relationship with Garoppolo and Shanahan that has worked to this point? Because uh, they have not lost a lot of games together. Yeah, I think that Kyle Shanahan is, you know, similar to Gary Kubiak um, and probably similar to his dad a little bit in that I think he just does such a good job designing plays and I think, and a good job of calling plays. And you know, finding ways for easy completions. And then when they take shots, I think that he does a good job of designing stuff where it's real clear. And it's like, look, it's either open down the field or it's not. He's an excellent play designer and caller. And so, you know, I think if you look at, 
you know, the various quarterbacks that he's been with throughout his career. And I think, you know, Gary Kubiak would be a guy that I would say a similar thing about that. I think they just do a good job with it. I, I think there's elements of what they do that are similar to what Andy Reid does in that he finds ways to make the quarterback comfortable and help that guy play well. And, and so, um, I think that's part of what you're seeing. And then, and then where I think you can become really good, which is what's happened, you know, there is that they've got really good players on defense. I think they've got, you know, underrated running backs. And along with that kind of Shanahan Kubiak offense, those guys have always been able to run the football. Um, it just, it's a sound scheme. It's been tried and true and it matches well with their passing game. And you can have success with that. Now, with all that said, there ain't no. I mean, they, they are definitely one of the best teams in the league. I think they get their first loss this week because I think Seattle's pretty good too. Mm-hmm. I, I find myself, Tim, when I'm flipping through and I see the Seahawks playing, I, I have to stop because I just I love watching that offense. Russell Wilson, uh, one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. But I think that Seattle probably has their number this week. Yeah, and I, I could see that happening as well. I, I really could. And I think you know, it's a little bit I mean, like a week and a half off, that's tough, playing Thursday and then yeah. to Monday. Yeah, and I and I think that too. You know, we were getting asked questions this past week. Okay, who's the best team in the AFC? You know, we just saw the Ravens dominate the Patriots. Who's the best team in the AFC? And like, I kind of was like, you know what? I I actually still think it's the Patriots. Like, it's okay to lose a game and still be the best team in your division. You know, in in your conference. Or like, I I think those things can happen. Um, so I could see, I could definitely see it. Now, Russell Wilson, I mean, what he does, I mean, there's part of, there's times I want to say, there's times I want to be like, well, he's the best quarterback in football. I mean, there's times I really feel that way. And that's, it's saying a lot considering Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, are, you know, those guys are still playing and playing at a high level. But there are times that Russell Wilson will do things and you're like, man, it, it you had the perfect defense called. He bought some time, and then he creates his play. And then you think about who he's doing it with at wide receiver. I mean, let's be fair, guys. You know, Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, you know, I don't think that we're just like, oh, yeah, like, hey, put them on the Titans and think how much better our quarterback play is. I mean, I don't think anyone would feel that way. Tim, when when you look at the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, they've won two in a row after losing three in a row, they beat the Giants on Monday Night Football – do they have enough to make a sustained playoff run, or is it going to be typical Dallas where they'll do enough, they'll win the division, and then they get knocked out? Yeah, I mean, they could get knocked out in the playoffs, but I could see them making noise in the playoffs. I believe what they have will travel. They have a quarterback that I think is tough and better than people think that he is. They have the ability to run the football, especially when they're totally healthy up front, which they have not been. Um, but they can run the football. You know that that traveled. And defensively, they have good players. They have really good players on the defense side of the ball and can rush the passes. So, like, if you have those things, you have a chance to, you know, be playing in January and be playing in January on the road and win. Now, you know, obviously some scenarios would be harder than others, but, you know, could they go, you know, would it be possible that they're in, you know, Green Bay and, and, and have a chance there? You know, maybe, you know, could they could they do it in New Orleans? Maybe. I mean, those are that's a tall task, even if you're a really good team. But um, 
I've said it, and, and I'll, I'll say it. The Cowboys, the way they're constructed and with their quarterback, are good enough to win a Super Bowl. What did you make of the decision uh, from Jacksonville to, to go back to Foles? I think it's the right decision just because Foles hadn't played a whole lot. You know, kind of back to the comments of like, hey, you're good enough to win a Super Bowl. Like, you know, you know because you've seen it. There's been visual evidence. You've seen Nick Foles win a Super Bowl. Um, and so, I, And I think with, you know, Minshew, while there have been some really good things, there have been some not-so-great moments as well. And so I think he did a great job. I think he proved that he can play in the league. I think he um, has at least piqued your curiosity in that, you know, he could maybe be a starter. Uh, but with Foles and his injury history, it probably makes you feel better about it. And um, I think that Nick Foles could end up playing well. I mean, I just I, I think he could. So I think it's the right move. I don't think it's always the right move to go back to somebody. Like, I think that, like, the Kyle Allen thing worked itself out. But, you know, I would have stayed with Kyle Allen even if Cam Newton, you know, was healthy next week. Well, clearly uh, there was no Minshew mania in London. Well, there may have been, but uh, they were awful. The Jags were pathetic Sunday. Yeah, I think I made that decision easy for Doug yeah. Marone because of that. Yeah. Uh, last thing, Tim, and, and I just want to get your – and I know you don't sit there and break down film on Titans receivers, but I brought up this week that it, it's starting to feel like, you know, kind of like the unfortunate pattern of – of Mariota, it's like every year that goes by, it's like how long can you keep saying, "Well, you know this and that," and oh, it'll look different. And it's at some point you have to realize and accept that maybe this is just what they are. Uh, Corey Davis, this is this is year three, man. He was the fifth pick in the draft, and oh, by the way, uh, you know, uh, woulda, coulda, should I get it? And and but you know, Christian McCaffrey went like right after him, and then Mahomes and and Watson, so. It, you know, but anyway, it's getting close to, is this what he is? I mean, he's got 28 catches this year. I mean, solid, but you know, fifth pick overall, first receiver taken right. on the draft. What, what do you see yeah, out of Corey Davis? Production out, you production out of that high of a draft pick. Here's what I would say. I think it's been too hard to evaluate him. And it's like, it's like it's probably nauseating to hear that considering, I think people have been saying that about Marcus for so long. The, I can remember Roddy White. Remember him for the Atlanta Falcons? Absolutely. Remember him being like, eh, you know, he's just okay. He's not very good. He's just, he's all right. And Michael Vick was his quarterback. And it was like, well, you know, he drops some balls and he's not catching a lot of passes. And all of a sudden, Matt Ryan comes in and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Roddy White, like, he's a, he's a number one wide receiver. And, you know, I think the scheme changed. I think the quarterback changed and there was a lot of production. I, the thing I would ask you, if Corey Davis played for the Seahawks, do you think that he would be the the number one there? Because I kind of think he would. Yeah, probably. I guess the question is how different would it look? You know? The question is how good can he be? Are you saying he's a, he is a byproduct of just the quarterback play since he's been here? Is that what I you're saying? It hasn't, yeah, I just think it's hard to – I would, here's the production that, that you expect or I expect. You expect 85 or more catches. You expect over 1,000 yards. And you would hope that you're always, you know, around or flirting with double-digit touchdowns. 
That's nope. what you're hoping yes. out of mm-hmm. th- that guy. Yep. And I just think that it's hard to do that with the way that the offense is played. Don't you? I mean, okay, I will who s- would do that? Let me, let me just say this. One, I agree with you. And, and, and who knows? Who, we may see what it looks like, what he looks like in a different system down the road years from now. I, the only only thing that I hesitate with is we used to say the same thing. Well, look at look at the cast around Mariota, and look at this and the offensive line play. They're changing coordinators, they're changing coaches, like all the stuff that we talked about. Okay, so they went on and so they kept consistency this past off season, and they mm-hmm. they we said okay, there's no more excuses. Look, they have beefed up this offense. You know, addition of Adam Humphreys, and then you draft AJ Brown and. They got no more excuses, and Derrick Henry just turned him loose. Look what he did the final month of the season. And we're we're sitting here talking about a, a guy that's been benched, and Tannehill's the quarterback. I mean, it didn't – nothing changed. Like, we had all these things in place that says, well, this is why he's not, you know, succeeding. And and then we came in saying, okay, now all that's been taken care of, and he's been benched. So, so would the, it really change? Right, so I don't know. I is this. The thing I would say is well, – been with the Washington Redskins until Gibbs had come back and Mark Brunel was our quarterback. And um, we were a mess offensively. I mean, we were a mess. We were terrible. We were like the Titans. And, um, and they benched Mark. And he was mad because, you know, he was a starter and he got benched and he's getting booed and the stadium's chanting for Patrick Ramsey and but there was also part of Mark that was like, I know because I'm in it. Switching quarterbacks not going to fix it all. I'm not the only problem. And that's typically the case. The reality is, you know, if people were unhappy with you know, how Marcus has played, I think it's fair. He's, it's, the head coach is unhappy with it. Why he's benched him. And so he could play better. And he could have played better, and he could have made everyone around him maybe a little bit better. But I think when they evaluate it, and they evaluate whether it's mental errors, they evaluate not beating the guy across from you, all of that stuff. There's a lot of other guys not doing their job too, you know. And so, listen, that can affect Corey Davis. I mean, it just they can't. It can affect them. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't think you can find a scenario in the National Football League where a team benches their quarterback, you know, before the halfway point of the season. And then you look up, you know, week 15 and you're like, man, that was the move that changed everything for the better for us. Look how much better we got this year. And typically there's just too many other things going on. Okay. Tim, good stuff as always. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Uh, Cool. What See game? You, what game do you have? Oh, what I have. Oh, listen. Hey, I have Notre Dame at Duke. Golden Domers at Duke. There you go. I didn't know if you know this, but Notre Dame is in the ACC in everything but football. I don't know if you know that. That is, you know, just to because it makes so much straight. sense. Do they hand out pamphlets to remind people like how it works? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. If you want to watch Notre Dame, you know, women's soccer, ACC, yes. Uh, football, no. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. NBC. <laughs> Tim Hasselbeck, every week presented by Wyatt Johnson Ford. We'll give you a chance to win something on the other side, so you better be listening. You better not go anywhere. We'll give you a chance to win something before you can even get them right now. 
We'll do that on the other side. Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 1025, the game. A moment of silence for linebacker Zach Brown. He's been released by the Cardinals. Again? That was a second-round pick by the Titans back in the day. What was that, 2012? Yeah, and they liked him a lot. Because he he was was pretty decent. He was fast. And then he made several stops along the way and apparently just not working out. And this is like the second time this year he's been released. Yes, that is correct. Eagles released him earlier. Yeah. Second round pick by the Titans in 2012, linebacker out of North Carolina. Mm. Didn't work out well here. The Titans. He's been released by the Cardinals. Could cover, though. He was one of those fast linebackers who could cover. That's what they said about him. I don't think we've brought this up yet. What can you tell us about Zach Brown? He's fast. He had his moments. I don't think we've mentioned this yet, that you know the Titans did place Malcolm Butler on IR yesterday, which we kind of figured might happen, but... Before we hear from, speaking of that, the head coach, Mike Vrabel, who spoke today, getting uh, as they begin preparation for the chefs on Sunday, we're going to play some of what he talked about today. Let's give you a chance to win some tickets that you uh, can't even buy yet. They, these tickets go on sale Friday at 10 a.m., but uh, let's say caller 6, caller 6, 615-737-1025, 737 Journey and special guest, The Pretenders. Bridgestone Arena, next August. Caller 6. Good luck. Here, indeed, is head coach Mike Vrabel talking about their opponent, the Chiefs. Um, again, the, the comparisons in this, in this league are always um, difficult. Um, he's a fantastic player. Um, you know, does a lot with the football, very quick with the release. Um, Makes a lot of great decisions in the RPO game. Um, very accurate outside the pocket. Can can create, um, keep plays alive. Um, you, you know, and I think the longer that he does that, then the more opportunity for those guys that can run um, to, to get downfield. And that's um, you know that's where the play extension uh, is, is critical. That we try to limit that. Against Evans, where LaShawn was called into action, maybe didn't go as, as well as LaShawn hoped. Now, uh, with Butler out, where, where do you pick things up in the second game? Well, I would say that that, um, you know, that game, I, I don't think anybody, you know, I don't think LaShawn was um, responsible for, for 198 yards. Um, again, you know, you try to look at matchups and you try to, um, you know, identify you know, when you can play man, when you can play zone, when you want to try to have eyes on the quarterback, when you want to try to have help, um, how, to, how to play guys that are big receivers, uh, such as, let's say, Sammy Watkins this week, um, a bigger player um, with speed, but then you know, guys that have speed and are smaller and quicker guys and how you, how you play Hill and Hardman um, and Robinson. So... Um, there, there's a lot of challenges. They have a, a few backs that they run the football with, um, not to mention, you know, probably, um, you know, the best tight end in the league. How had you felt about where Malcolm was? You know, the thing I always appreciated about Malcolm um, was his competitiveness. And, um, you know, I know it wasn't perfect, but um, certainly always appreciated his competitiveness um, and how he attacked and how he finished plays. Um, so, you know, wished, uh, 
wish that he hadn't got hurt, but but we understand that that's uh, the unfortunate part of this business. How much confidence do you have in Sims to sort of take that next man up mentality? That, that's again why why guys are here on our roster is so the that we have confidence in them that they have to go in the game and they have to play for us. Um, that they'll be ready, and that's why they practice. That's why they try to improve uh, each and every week. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of guys that get opportunities in this league and um, do some really good things with it. And then we're confident that uh, you know that's what Lashawn will do. Jalen concussion protocol, or is he good? Uh, no, he's not good yet, but I say that he's progressing uh, well. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to do in the last couple stages to to pass through that. Um, you know. The entire protocol, but uh, he, he's working on it. Will or practice today? Um, again, we'll we'll find out here in a little bit. Um, usually, they don't do a whole lot on Wednesday, anyways. So, you know, based on how they feel, uh, we'll see where they're at towards the end of the week. For Jeffrey against the Panthers, does he continue to respond well to the increasing workload? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think physically, yes, and. Um, you know, to just think he's only had probably a handful of practices uh, with us. Um, there's a lot of things that come up in the game that can, can be better. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, just checks and communication that he's getting for the first time. And that's, you know, we're kind of just throwing him in there, not having had training camp and a lot of practices. But I'd say his attitude's been fantastic. And, again, the most important thing is that he's able to continue to add um, those snaps and that, that workload that you mentioned and, and, and factor in some plays. And then, you know, I know there's a lot of plays that he would like to improve on and, and some techniques that he'd like to improve on. Ryan Tannehill suggested that maybe the time that he had with A.J. Brown in, in training camp when kind of both were on the second team might sort of help their chemistry a little bit, the fact that they played a good bit together. Have you seen some evidence uh, of that in the in the games Ryan has started? I think the quarterback's job is always going to be the same. Is he's going to try to get us in the right play and and throw to the guy that he feels like is open and, and gives him the best chance to to gain yards. And um, whether that's AJ Janu, um, AJ Tajay, um, Corey, you know that's you know. And again, I think that they probably have um, had thrown the ball more to him just because that's where they were in in preseason. But you know, I, I hope that Ryan feels comfortable throwing to anybody that's that's open out there. That ball down the sideline, the long ball to, to AJ, pretty good coverage. What does that suggest about you know maybe his, his uh, trust in, in AJ to, to go up and get those kind of catches? Um. You know, I think we, we have to be able to try to hit some of those. We have to be able to, um, you know, get some of those plays downfield and, and try to let our receivers, um, like Tajay did at the beginning of the game, uh, draw a penalty, um, or like A.J. did um, on the play that you're mentioning, um, you know, go make a play. We we have to be able to do that. Um, and, again, that's, that's giving them a ball, giving them a chance not to, you know, throw it out of bounds or, you know, put it too far in the middle of the field or, you know, I think just giving them a chance to make a play, and, and that's what A.J. did. What do you preach in the secondary when you face a guy like Mahomes who's mentioned gets outside the pocket, makes plays on the run? I mean, what, what are the challenges you when you face a guy like that? I think that you just have to say that you have to cover him a little longer and until you hear, 
you know, the whistle or the, or the crowd. Or, I mean, it's just, you know, watching this third down, um, you know, guys will take a peek back and then somebody uncovers and, you know, the quarterback's still alive and he makes a throw. He can throw across his body. He can throw it downfield. Um, so you just can't ever relax when they go out there and, you know, the route may seem to come to an end and they kind of relax and then all of a sudden they they burst on you. And I think that when you take it at side relief, um, you know, sometimes it was when they get you. And, and hopefully we can limit those opportunities just by being able to coordinate the rush and, and, and keep, you know, the quarterback, um, you know, from throwing from a well. When you're facing a guy with rare speed like Tyreek Hill, how does that change the game? Well, I mean, I think you have to be conscious. You have to be smart of, of um, you know, where, where you're at and the shots that they like to take and, um, you know, making sure that you play with, you know, proper leverage and you, that you're on top and that, you know, he, you know we understand that they have more X plays than any offense in the league. And that's, um, you know, when they're able to hit those, those chunk plays allow them to change field position, uh, gain momentum. And so uh, he, he's a large part of what they do um, to, to get those explosive plays. He, he attacks the football um, when, when there's coverage and, and just, you know, like John mentioned, the trust that the quarterback has to, to throw it up to a certain player, uh, knowing that he's going to come down with the football. What's Derek? running more than just go routes. Like there's long development routes, double moves. Is his ability to run those routes at that speed unique? Unique? Uh, sure. I mean, I think that um, – you know, some guys are straight line fast. I think that when you're, you know, you're a punt returner, I think you have agility, quickness, um, explosion, but but also speed, straight line speed, and um, you know, that that's always the challenge when the guys can go sideways just as effectively as they can they can gain and build speed down the field. Um, they're always hard to cover. What's Derek like as a leader? Mm, I think that Derek. Um, you know, by, by being, I would say good, very good, you know, and I think that, um, I try to get him to, to understand that, that by his, um, the way he practices, the way he finishes, um, the way he conditions in the off season, the amount of time that he spends, how he performs, uh, in conditioning and in a weight room, um, you know, the, the toughness in which he plays with, um, I think that that's how he leads, and um, you know, that we all have different abilities. And I know that um, when he does those things on the field, or you watch him in the off season uh, do those things, it certainly uh, would inspire me uh, if I was a player. What do you guys, as coaches, want the identity of the offense to be? Well, we want to be sound. We want to be physical. We want to be. Um, Obviously effective. Um, we we want to be able to take advantage of um, teams' mistakes. I think sometimes I, I talk to the team um, as much as I can about being a football team that takes advantage of you know mistakes that they make in the run game and in the pass game. If they're you know a gap short, that we have to take advantage of it. If they're um, you know voiding a zone in the passing game, we have to be smart enough. They uncover somebody. You know, we have to be good enough and effective enough to take advantage of that. Uh, I, I want to play with an urgency. I think that we have to you know, play with a sense of urgency and, and dictate the tempo. And 
we have to continue to try to be more consistent uh, with, with when doing those things because I think there's evidence of a lot of those things. Um, I think a smart football team, a smart offense, um, a fundamentally sound offense, and you know, when you aren't some of those, that's when you um, create those longer yardage situations and that get back on track. There's some of Mike Vrabel today uh, in lieu of them hitting the practice field and getting ready for the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday at noon over at Nissan Stadium. It is going to be uh, an interesting game for sure to see how this plays out because the Chiefs, all signs are pointing toward Mahomes, even though while it's not official, will be back in the lineup. How do they cover a guy like Travis Kelsey? How do they cover? How do you begin to cover a guy like Tyreek Hill? They can run the football. Mahomes is dynamic. Their defense is not very good. Kansas City's defense doesn't scare anybody. They've actually been very good against the pass, but they have been poor against the run. I think Aaron Rodgers is the only quarterback that's thrown for 300 on them, to your point. Hmm. Here's the problem, though. And we know the strength of the Titans is the defense, and I think think this defense is, is really good. But they struggled last week against a player like Christian McCaffrey. How do you think they're going to fare against a player like Patrick Mahomes and then the others that you just named? So that's concern number one. Number two, the offense continues to be just a giant question mark of one week, okay, looks a little better. Next week, ah, back to where they were. So it's up and down. It's a, it's a roller coaster. This is a team that when everything is is perfectly laid out and there's no obstacles, they're fine. They're good. But any type of wrinkle, and the wheels just fall off, and I think that you probably see more of the same. Now, Darren, you've brought up the, all this week of uh, this is one of those games that, watch, they'll figure out some way to beat the Chiefs, even though they're not supposed to, and that may happen. But with everything that, you know, if Mahomes comes back, and we know he's not going to be 100%, but if he's in the lineup, that's going to already be a tough test, not to mention the other players uh, in Kelsey and, and Hill that are going to create obstacles for them. So I just – I don't feel good about it. And then he brought up Derrick Henry and his leadership. If I'm Derrick Henry, there's going to be a point in the season where I'm like, you know what, you can offer me a contract. I'm I'm going to go check out what else is going on if you're not going to use me right. I can't imagine the frustration that he has right now. I would think a formula that the Titans would have to consider against an explosive offense like the Chiefs and considering that the Chiefs' defense does tend to give up runs – uh, runs. Uh, if you look at their overall ratings, the Chiefs are the third best efficient team in the league in football outsiders. But the the breakdown is interesting. Number two offense, that's even without Mahomes playing the last couple of games, they've still been a productive offense. The eighth best special teams overall. 11th in defense, but it is very skewed. They are uh, against the run, 28th. Uh, Overall, fourth against Which the pass. Which is worse than Carolina, who was 27th. Yeah. Uh, and so, and remember, Football Outsiders is not going by yards, right? It's you know, it's when do you get the yards, how you get the yards, when do you need the yards. Are you getting them when you need them? That's what, that's what it really comes down to. This would be a game where you try to keep the ball out of the Chiefs' offense hands. If you can run the ball, control some clock, get Henry going. He's had a good – he's had – some good games against the Chiefs before. We know the playoff game. He played one of his best games ever. That was a long time ago, different coaching staff. But this is the time of the year 
where you got to run the ball, and you should all you should having a running back like Henry should start to pay dividends as teams start getting worn down, and the weather starts changing some. Um, tough timing to lose Malcolm Butler when you play a team like the Chiefs, who can spread the ball around and hurt you with a lot of different guys. They have guys who are tough matchups no matter what. You gotta you have to change your defense when you're going up against Kelsey. And I heard Teron's question. When you're playing a guy like Tyreek Hill, who can get behind you, you make one mistake, he's gone. You gotta pay special attention. And then Andy Reid's very good at distributing the ball to the other guys, and you have a great playmaker. So yeah. you got you got the Titans strong suit, which is their defense, but is it good enough to slow down the Chiefs? I don't know. And then you have the Chiefs defense which is their weaker suit, but we know the Titans' offense has been a mystery all, all year long. Here's another uh, a mystery for you, a stat that I saw in the Titans' media guide. Andy Reid all-time, 1-7 against the Tennessee Titans. That goes back Not to his surprised. time with Philadelphia. Not surprised. But some of those games are like Jeff Fisher or way back. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andy Reid's been some coaching for a while, games. so yep. they haven't played too many games against Andy Reid over the years. Nope. Well, they have, I mean, the Chiefs. They've seen the Chiefs a few times since he's been there. So, And they've won them. Yeah. We'll I'm trying see. to think. We'll well, wasn't that... one of those the, the opening game, a Ken Wisenhunt opener? <laughs> was, no, that... one of them was it was like zero, and Suckup hit the, the field goal, long field goal. Right. The playoff, playoff game. game. That's yeah, one. Yeah, but they beat them twice. The, I mean, yeah. So that's not even in the one and seven, is it? Mm-hmm. Or does that count? Does the playoff game count? Uh, that I don't. Is I that included assume. in there? I'm not sure. Didn't they beat him on opening day in Ken Wisenhunt's? Remember the whole joke about Ken Wisenhunt? He's great. He's two and zero in openers, and then 2014 like, they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Was that that was Andy Reid, right? 2014. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's that's right. Beginning right. Yeah. So that's kind of an out of nowhere one. The 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 cold weather one is probably the big one of the biggest wins that Mike Malarkey had. Uh, winning yep. on Suckup's field goal on the last play. That, was, that was a Suck big, Up's big win. Return yeah. To Arrowhead. But I do think a handful of those games were Jeff Fisher against the Eagles. They beat mm-hmm. Kansas City in 2016 there at Arrowhead. Yeah, okay. that's the one we just referenced, the yep. cold-weather Suckup game. Yep. And then, of course, beat them in the playoff game, and I think that's – they didn't uh, they didn't meet last year. So they've had, for whatever reason, they've had success against the Chiefs. But, yeah, that – that uh, one you're referencing. By the way, it looks like all, all those ones we just referenced were all at Arrowhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And know. when is the last time the Chiefs came here? It's been a while. Good question. But you've got to pound the ball against them, right? You've got to run the ball. 2013. Chiefs came here. Chiefs won. 2013. 2013. I'm trying to picture that. That's a, that's a Jake Locker game, I think. Yep. Jake Locker era. Was he it was a three-game homestand. They played the Chargers, the Jets, and the Chiefs. Oh yeah, that was they an beat Alex the Chargers Smith. and yeah. Jets, and they lost to the Chiefs. And that was a game that was right there in their hands. Didn't quite get it. Yep. All right, we'll come back with Chris Mason. By the way, congratulations to Michael in Springfield. Michael was lucky caller six. Michael's going to go see Journey and the Pretenders next August at Bridgestone Arena. See Mace in the on deck circle next. <laughs> 